Oh, it was, it was devastating. These were my first thousand bottles and yeah, it was incredibly disappointing. I just remember sitting there crying. Really? Because it had been a build up and it had been a tough, yeah, it had been a tough three months. It was very lonely. And I was like, right guys, we are gonna watch Christmas film. <laughs> and relabel. <laughs> and, and relabel every single bottle. <laughs> Trials, tribulations, mistakes, barriers, successes, and failures. Hear it here firsthand from those that have grown billion dollar businesses to those that are just starting out. Winner of the Campaign Publishing Award for Best Business Podcast in the UK, Successes in the Mind is the only place where you can get a sense of business reality in a world full of idealism. Everyone claims to be an entrepreneur, but can everyone live up to the title? What does it take to start a business, to get your product into a high street store, or grow a well-managed team? I'm Oliver Bruce, founder and entrepreneur myself. Join me as I interview business leaders and founders from across the globe, delving into what makes them tick, their differentiators and intrinsic motivators. This is Success is in the Mind. Thank you so much to our headline sponsors for the year, Capsule Cover. Capsule Cover, a specialist insurance partner to growth businesses, supports some of the UK's most innovative and ambitious companies. Sponsoring each and every one of our podcasts, we're on a journey with Capsule, and so should you be. If you're a scale-up or an ambitious, high-growth business, check out how Capsule Cover can help you with bespoke insurance solutions. Inquire via CapsuleCover.com and quote Success22. So it's the 5th of January, we may have all overindulged this Christmas, and yes, dry January is upon us. In this episode, we've the unapologetically bold, vibrant, and joyful alcohol-free brand, Kellinio. Founded by Ellie Webb in 2019, when she was asked to be the designated driver for a gig she was going to with some friends, Ellie quickly became bored of Coke and J2O's on offer. She wanted something a little more punchy, not alcoholic, but a little bit more grown up. Kellinio was born. Named after Ellie's Colombian roots in the city of Cali, Kalinio is now stocked in supermarkets nationwide. From giving a few bottles out at a festival, Kalinio's first order for Sainsbury's was for some 6,000 units. I asked, how do you develop an alcohol-free brand so successfully? What lessons were learned in the early years of product development? And Ellie, have you gone Tito? Ladies and gentlemen, Ellie Webb. Very happy to be here. So, I mean, looking back, you were in the world of marketing for eight years. You studied at university, again, a marketing degree, but you chucked it all away to go into the world of alcohol beverages. Why did you do that? <laughs> Interestingly, so the alcohol industry was actually my, my second job post-uni. So I, I worked in shopper marketing for for a little while and I guess I was quite I was one of those lucky people at university or prior to university I kind of knew what I wanted to do because I loved I loved creativity I was quite good at design and art and you know at one point I wanted to be a designer but then I also really loved the business side of things and I did a course in business and economics at, at school and I really enjoyed it and and marketing seemed to bring those two things together the kind of creativity um, and and the business element. So I was quite set on marketing, and I I joined a shopper marketing agency. That was my first job in Bath, and I loved it. I worked with some great clients, some some big FMCG uh, brands like Nestle, uh, Imperial Tobacco. Actually, that was interesting. Wow, okay. <laughs> the tobacco industry. <laughs> a lot of money there. But it felt that I was getting a little bit pigeonholed into one particular sector of marketing. So a job came up in in the drinks industry in marketing that was quite it was a lot broader and that really appealed to me so that's that's why I got into that to that sector and 
a lot of people say once you're in once you're in the drinks industry you never leave <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of didn't but I I, I moved into alcohol free and, and a lot of people thought I was a bit mad like why because you know the industry is you know as you would expect it's typically like quite boozy you know the, your world is surrounded by alcohol events you know socials you go to so it was a little bit weird when um I, I told people I was I was leaving to go and, and create an alcohol-free <laughs> spirit. It's ballsy, it is. But arguably, you sort of foresaw, I suppose, the way the world's going because alcohol-free has become become quite cool. Yes, it's niche, but it's a hugely growing, hugely growing market. And there's big, big brands out there that are offering alcohol-free as, as a kind of, you know, a keynote product really now. Yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, at the time, I I was very much trying to move more into the consumer world of brands the 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 role I was in was very b2b so we were working quite closely with bars and restaurants so bar owners pub owners um the company I worked for Matthew Clark they are a, a national distributor uh, for the UK for for booze essentially so they're the ones that make sure you can get your bottle of Bacardi and your, your bottles of wine behind the bar and they have a huge network. So it was it was very B2B and I wanted to get a little bit closer to, to the consumer and what it was like to kind of launch a consumer brand. So one of the, the projects I took on just before leaving was the launch of, of Bud Light in the UK. So up until three or four years ago, Bud Light didn't exist in, in the UK. And it was a big kind of big launch coming and uh, the company I was in being one of the largest distributors for for alcohol they had a had a big part in that making sure that Bud Light got into restaurants and bars across the UK so I kind of spearheaded that that launch and I remember within that a lot of the insight was saying you know people are um, you know younger young people are drinking a lot less so actually we're going to re-engineer the ABV to be lower than it is in the states um, and and I think that was my first exposure and there, there were other bits of insight but it was it was mm, okay interesting big brand like Bud Light is really looking at the trends and and young people drinking and this was back in 2016 so way before I did did dry January myself but I think it started to see <laughs> that that interest in in this space because it's I mean in terms of actually how you came up with the idea though you went to a gig with your mates in Bristol and you were bored of drinking J2O's you were bored of drinking coke and you decided there has to be something better on the market was that the first thought process that you had in terms of okay actually I do want to start to change what I'm doing I do want to get out of the alcohol industry and maybe go into that alcohol free world yeah I mean January is an interesting time I think a lot of people make changes in January it's stereotypical you know like new year new me everyone kind of gets that <laughs> like I want to change a career I think to be honest I think I was feeling that in the run-up to to January especially you know we're we're in that period now you know Christmas kind of the festive season coming up to dry January it can get it can get very boozy and for me it'd been three or four um, of years of doing that and and kind of you get to a new year and you think mm, you reevaluate what what you want to do. So I think I think it was a mixture of things, but certainly going out with my friends and not drinking for a month when the options were normally a glass of water or diet coke definitely was not was not what I wanted. Was not exciting and made me think you know we've really got this wrong. The drinks industry has got this so wrong. Like they're just ignoring. They're completely ignoring people that don't want to drink alcohol and kind of shunning them and going, all right, you can drink an orange juice or water, like 
basically we don't care about you and as someone who who was a drinker you know I still drink now I've not I'm not teetotal I would I would what um I would class myself as a balanced drinker a mindful drinker as someone that that appreciates drinks and and the kind of from a broad spectrum I just felt that this the the imbalance was huge and we needed to to do something about it so that that's kind of where I physically felt the pain of that experience and it's what got it's what got me really thinking about the space and and I think quite often you hear entrepreneurs speak and and they're like you know to them it feels really obvious and and to everyone else it's like you've just been putting up for it with it for for a while and and you don't really know why until someone actually asks the question of like well hang on a minute why why is it still like this so I mean looking at the b2b world that you're in with Matthew Clark and then going into the b2c world obviously from a marketing point of view it's totally different but arguably from a way that you actually transact with individuals it's totally different where did you kind of learn how to transact with the consumer market I spent in the run-up to launching Kalenia I spent a lot of time visiting bars and restaurants across Bristol and across London. I think I visited, I went into about 200 in total, maybe, unannounced. <laughs> I just would spend, you know, like, right, today I'm going to go out and visit. And, and I would take I would take early versions of the product. And so that was getting direct feedback from the bartenders. But what they allowed me to do, some of them were very kind, you know, kind enough to actually say, we'll let you come in and sample directly with our customers. So I essentially spent the night behind the bar um, in in some venues in Bristol and I would go out and I would take samples to to their customers and and ask them what they thought, because that gave me the ability to get direct feedback from from people. I think it's really important before you launch a product, no matter how good you think the idea might be in the concept and how passionate about it, if you don't check that the consumer would happily part with money for that and actually wants it <laughs> you're into a world of trouble <laughs> yeah because that's what you did with a drinks festival didn't you you did that with sainsbury's and they happened to come along drink it and they go actually i really like this and they said they'd email you and you were pretty skeptical but the monday after you got an email from the bar at sainsbury's and you shifted them six thousand units over time and that was one of your first orders right yeah that that was interesting so i this was sort of summer of 2018 where I was still, I mean, I was, I was bottling uh, the product in, in my kitchen and blending it. And I would sort of bought all the equipment so I could do that, but I could only do that in a really small scale. So I think I'd got 20, probably about 20, 25 bottles together for a, a festival called the Mindful Drinking Festival. And it was, I wasn't selling obviously, cause I didn't have enough. I only had enough product to sample with people, but it was really important to get feedback and speak to people at Spitalfields Market. So great location in London, amazing footfall, especially during, during the summer. And yeah, a guy called Tom came over to me. He, he worked for Future Brands and he'd, he'd obviously been going around trying, trying different products and he tried Kalenio. And uh, he really liked it, and and he said that, and he and he said, I'm I'm going to contact you on Monday, and and let's see, you know, we we work with small brands, we want to bring them into into the Sainsbury's uh, business, and we work with the buyers, to, you know, to try and get you listed, and we also offer you a lot of support on the marketing to help grow your brand, you know, which was great. But I thought yeah. you know, this, this is mad. Like I've never heard it's of too good to be true. I mean, I'd never I'd never worked I'd never worked with retailers before. In my career, my short career, um, I, uh, you know, my world was bartenders and, and restaurants and hotels. Um, 
I didn't have any exposure to to retailers really other than my earlier shopper marketing days so when he when he got in touch on Monday no one was more surprised than me and and when we stayed in contact it wasn't you know it didn't happen straight away but uh when the buyer uh actually got quite interested in the category so prior to Kalenya going into Sainsbury's they just had one one brand on shelf one product and it was actually in decline. So they had decided, yeah, it was it was in decline. It wasn't growing. Are they still in there? Have they have they disappeared, or have you taken the market from them? I think they're still in there. I won't name the brand, but I think they might still be on shelf. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> the point was that it, it, what we've learned is actually you need the consumer wants choice. They want a range of of brands and products to choose from, different flavors, and so actually. Sainsbury's decided to they weren't the market leader in the space at the time they didn't even have a a non-alcoholic spirit range they decided to put Kalenya in and a few other brands and they went you know they went big with with Kalenya they put us into 500 stores an unknown brand you know no one knew about us and they put us on shelf and suddenly that 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 category started to to skyrocket for them and they're now the market leaders wow that's incredible because it was a 6000 unit order right and you were making 20 30 40 bottles by hand and all of a sudden you know over time you you've been given this 6000 uh, 6000 unit order how did you facilitate that did you have to fund it did you have to get investment because there's a an element of upfront cost to to you guys as a brand yeah i raised i raised investment the month or so before dry january i think the money came in Perfect. so it was pretty close it was pretty close <laughs> to wire <Yeah. laughs> because you know my my january launch wasn't huge it was basically me with a with a mobile bar that a friend had made for me doing sampling outside markets a friend of mine jack uh, who owns a latin american supermarket said come on down to um my place with our our uh, warehouse is alongside the entrance to maltby market come and do some sampling i went and did some sampling with pineapple dance studios it was it was literally me running around london uh, and so I didn't have a huge budget for launch. There was a little bit of social media advertising. And actually, a, a really cool moment for me was when I was doing the sampling outside Maltby Market. And someone came up to me and, and said, I, you know, I've seen this brand before. I think I've seen you on social media. And I thought, oh, my God, <laughs> it's working. It's really working. <laughs> uh, so that was really cool. But but no, I, I went into um, into January having agreed to to list in in 500 stores you know it's one of those moments where you kind of say i'm gonna i've got to say yeah you know i either yeah, said yes or no i could have said no i could have <laughs> said no you know what i don't have a bottle <laughs> i don't have a bottle <laughs> yet and looking at the actual business plan the structure the way that you actually came up i suppose with with the concept did you pull on the degree or indeed frankly the class that you did back at at school when you were doing uh, business and economics did you look back at what you'd learned then and and implement elements in the real world or did you have to pull on advice from uh, other people to be able to help you steer and navigate the choppy waters because it can't have been easy yeah i did i did and i would say that my learnings uh, from you know from my from my job role at Matthew Clark, uh, but also my marketing degree have helped me at different stages in the business. So I would say the marketing degree that I did is more suited to a larger business. They don't teach you how to launch a brand per se. I mean, they, you know, you do certain modules that you have to grow, grow a brand, but they don't say this is how, you know, step by step, this is how, how you launch products. I was quite lucky and there were some businesses in, 
in the Bristol area that actually ran specific workshops for launching for launching products. So I pulled on pulled on their expertise. I started to kind of build out my network at that point, meet with other entrepreneurs that were further down the line than I was, just to because there are just so many questions that you have as a as an entrepreneur starting out doing everything you're doing you're ultimately doing for the first time and so you don't know you don't know the answer you don't know what the right the right path to take is so it was so much it was the biggest biggest learning curve for me what would you pass on to people that you know now that you didn't know then in terms of in terms of launching a brand I suppose Ellie what I didn't know then was actually how challenging launching a brand on my own would be because what I, what I quickly discovered as I started going out into the world of FMCG and starting to talk to other brands was I would be meeting other brands and they would say, oh, you know, this is our guy who's in charge of operations and finance. This is our guy that looks after marketing and, and this founder does all the business development. And I'm sat there thinking, Christ, I'm trying to do all of those things. <laughs> I'm trying to juggle it all. And I think it's just those those conversations that you have, those back and forth with people around, is this the right decision? I sort of had to have that internal monologue in my head. And when you've never gone through things before. So, I, you know, I pulled on people around me as much as I could and family. But ultimately, they don't they don't always understand business. So I think for me, it's been important having mentors and, and people that you can pull on that have got that experience. If you don't have co-founders so someone yeah i mean would i would i go in, into this now with a co-founder or a couple of co-founders maybe because it's uh, it certainly would have lightened the load <laughs> <laughs> it spreads the risk i suppose doesn't it? it gives you more ability to to have more skills that you may not have your your yourself i mean what weaknesses ellie do you have that you've discovered since starting it that actually you'd want to plug the gap of and and maybe you've hired people to do that now but in the early days where were your sort of downfalls? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I naturally lean to things that are more creative. I love I love that side. So, designing the the bottle and the branding and and bringing all of that to life was was my favourite thing to do. What I didn't love was the spreadsheets and the, the financial <laughs> side. And I, you know, I've had to get to know that 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 piece really well because as a business owner, you need to understand what's going on. You need to be able to read a a P&L and, and understand what that's telling you. So I've I've enjoyed learning that. But are you going to see me kind of pouring through spreadsheets and, and telling you that's fun? Absolutely not. So <laughs> I've, I've brought in I've brought in someone and, and we're bringing in people that 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 are experts in that area and enjoy that that side of, of the business. So I'm a, I'm a big believer. I think one thing I've learned is, you know, do what do what you're really good at and what gives you energy, because you know, if you do that, you're never going to work a day in your life. So, of course, you've got to be, you know, running a business, you've got to be well-rounded and you've got to understand different elements of the business. So I've worn different hats from the operational side. I found incredibly challenging. My sister does that now, actually. She's our operations manager. She was she was Kalenya employee number one. <laughs> oh, really? That was the first employee? Yeah. Because your mother influences it as well, though, didn't she? So you've obviously got your sister in as ops manager. But looking at how the brand itself was influenced, it was it was obviously because your mother's Colombian. You went out to 
to see her, the vibrancy of Cali being the city out there, was what essentially inspires inspired the brand. So it's a really nice family story there. But when you came up with a name, did you know it was the right name from day one, or did you have multiple iterations of it? No, I had. I, I didn't land on Caleno uh, straight away. I originally had. I think I'd sort of a temporary name was Feliz, which means Feliz. happy. In Spanish. That makes sense. Feliz Navidad. There you go. That's happy. Yeah, happy Feliz Christmas Navidad. And I wanted to call, I just wanted to give it a name that embodied the the essence of what I wanted the brand to be. You know, Caleno's mission is to is to show people they can have fun without drinking. And I think we're, we're really starting to do that. You know, we're putting on some amazing events. You know, when people go out to, we, we did we did one uh, the other week with a Latin dance studio in London. We invited, uh, you know, around 50, 50, 60 people down to drink alcohol-free cocktails all night. There were performers, there was dancing, there was music. Everyone loved it. And, and we had so many comments coming back. Like, I didn't realise I could have such a great night without without alcohol. And it's, people people rely too much on the alcohol part. But really, it's about the atmosphere, the people you're with, the ambience, the, the entertainment. That's what makes a good night. And so... I personally feel our mission is to show that. And so when it came to the name, I wanted something that, that embodied that. And, and I've pulled heavily on my experiences of, of Colombia and that South American culture and, and their lust for life. And I wanted to kind of bring that into the alcohol-free world. Just so looking at the vibrancy of the brand and looking at the way that you guys have created your own space in the alcohol-free world, when we were researching you, we got retargeted by an actual alcohol brand that are going into the alcohol-free world. And, and again, they had quite a vibrant brand in the alcohol-free world, but in the real world, with the with the alcohol brand they normally push, quite boring, quite dry, you know, Budweiser's red, Bex is green. The reason that you've gone for a colourful, vibrant brand is is why? Because you don't have to have alcohol to have fun. You want to have that vibrancy and that passion through just enjoying a good time out, right? Is that is that the reason behind the the colour? Yeah. Ultimately, I didn't want people who were not drinking for whatever reason, whether it's just for the night, for a week, for a month, for whatever, you're pregnant, religious, whatever reason, I didn't want people to think, that they're making a compromise just because they're not drinking alcohol. Therefore, why shouldn't that brand be just as exciting as all the other brands on shelf? That's my That was my fundamental driving reason. I wanted people to look at a bottle of Kalenio on shelf and go, my God, that looks exciting and fun. I want to pick that bottle up. I want to have a look about it. Look at it. I want to understand it. I want to know the story behind it. Because why not? Why shouldn't we be able to do that? I think there's a huge stigma around what it means to not drink and for so long particularly in the UK we've got a culture of if you're not drinking you're boring we've all had it when we go out and we say to our friends oh actually guys I'm not drinking alcohol tonight and and everyone's like oh well you know John's being boring tonight and I think (laughs) we, we need to change that we need to change that attitude because it's really it's really about the choices and it's really about a mindset shift uh so that that was the fundamental reason behind behind why the brand looks like it does do you see a massive uplift when it comes to, you know, January, for instance, dry Jan? Do you see people going, right, I'm going to try and turn over this new leaf. I'm going to order a bulk of, of Kalino, for instance, and, and that is going to be the new me. Or do you see people purchasing consistently throughout the year? I mean, absolutely. There's a, it's a, you know, we are part of a, a, a trend that is, is shifting quickly. You know, people are really focused on their physical and mental well-being the mental well-being part 
incredibly so since since the pandemic that that has really um changed changed gear and we're seeing the reasons that people are cutting back their drinking or drinking less alcohol that they are for those reasons so there is definitely a consistent upward trend but in january we see huge spikes huge spikes of people because it's where it's a time where you've very likely overindulged at Christmas. And like we were saying earlier, it's a time where you kind of reflect and think, I'm going to I'm going to pick up some new habits, you know, new resolutions. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to have a healthy, you know, you start the year with the best intention. So they never work. So many people, <laughs> so many people that, you know, you've got the people throughout the year that are, you know, they they might be fitness advocates they might be interested in well-being so they are naturally more inclined to look at an alcohol-free product because it ties into the rest of their lifestyle and then you've got people who in January maybe aren't that aren't that into all of that stuff but are really into it during that that month and so it's a great time for brands like us because we're then exposed to a whole bunch of people way more people than we normally would be so it's a chance to kind of get people to experience the product and, and taste it and then you know for, so therefore later in the year they go oh you know I remember I, I, I tried that amazing cocktail uh, by Kalenya it was great so it's a Monday night I don't want to drink so I'm gonna I'm gonna order that at the bar or I'm gonna buy a bottle and have it have it during the week. Do you think people drink it during the day as well like you know how you kind of might go out for a couple of beers you know on a Thursday afternoon with colleagues do you see people drinking drinking Kalenio Kalenio sorry more consistently throughout the year throughout the week as well so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday you know for lunch they might just have a tipple do you find that or is it very much because you know it's not the culture yet it's not taken as the norm people tend not to do it because it's associated with fun we're not at the lunchtime occasion yet but it's a big opportunity if you think about boozy brunches if you think about you know years gone by where it used to be kind of quite normal to go out and have a have a boozy lunch with colleagues like that just doesn't happen anymore or it's not happening as much and so I think there is a real opportunity to upgrade you know your soft drink at lunchtime with a with a non-alcoholic cocktail or non-alcoholic beer what I would say about the shift is I think this category started with Monday Tuesday earlier in the week I'm going to have a non-alcoholic drink um as that as that's becoming more normal you're starting to see non-alcoholic drinks now filtering into some of those higher tempo times of the week you know your Thursday Friday nights and weekends like we get a lot of people drinking Kalenia on Sundays because they don't want to drink um and it also is a way to just balance your drinking you know if you want to have a great night but you don't want to overdo it and you want to make wake up on Saturday making the most of your day you can have a couple of uh, alcoholic drinks and then some non-alcoholic ones In terms of when you just looking back at your your, your first orders, when you had your six thousand bottles ordered, you then had a, a couple that came through the uh, first manufacturing, I suppose, cohort. The labels were all wrong. You had to work it out yourself over the weekend, literally relabeling thousands of bottles with your sister. What went through your mind then? Oh, it was it was devastating. These were my first thousand bottles, and yeah, it was incredibly disappointing. I just remember sitting there crying really? because it had been a build up, and it had been a tough yeah, it had been a tough three months. It was very lonely. It was very cold. I was in my like in my office, like I'd made a makeshift office in my house, and it was freezing. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get it to be warm, and it was just 
there were just issue after you know first of all it was really difficult to get hold of, of the botter in the first place wouldn't answer my calls and so I didn't know if I would actually have any bottles to launch with in January so when they eventually got got made I thought brilliant I can send these out they're finally going into the warehouse and then I get this call to say we thought you should know uh, we've we've looked at the bottles and there's a bit of a problem with the labels there I think where where they'd let where they bottled them in in quite kind of cold conditions you know you're talking December time freezing and and there'd been some condensation under you know on the glass at the time it seemed okay and then when they went into boxes there just this bubbling appeared around the label and there's all the, you know you get all of these sorts of issues in the beginning when you first start out I learned you you quickly discover all oh, things go wrong and then and then you fig- you find a way to figure them out but at the time this was my first real setback and I was like oh god so I I got them to I got them to deliver the two pallets to uh, my parents in Kent where where I was staying with my two sisters and I was like right guys we are gonna watch Christmas film <laughs> and, <laughs> and relabel and, and relabel every single bottle <laughs> In terms of sourcing a manufacturer, Ali, it must be quite difficult to to actually get somebody to a take you seriously if they're focused on working with big hundreds, you know, three hundred thousand uh, unit orders, but arguably quite expensive as well because they're going to charge you a premium just simply because the economies of scale surely aren't there. Oh God, yeah, we were charged. We were paying a lot, a lot in the first year because what I what I qu- quickly realised is we we sit in between two categories. You've got soft drinks that can be manufactured at scale, but they typically come in small bottles, uh, 200 mil bottles with a cap. And so the industry exists to automate those at scale. And then you've got the alcohol industry who can who can bottle 50 or 70 uh, CL bottles for you at speed, but they don't have the processes and they're not set up to bottle non-alcoholic liquids and we sat somewhere in the middle, so we quickly found we were going to bottlers and manufacturers, and they were like, "Yeah, we can't do this for you because we don't have the right equipment." So we've had to work with them uh, to invest in the right machinery. They've invested in the right machinery, so that that takes time. That doesn't happen overnight. That happens over a few years, and and gradually, you know, costs can come down. But in the beginning. Yeah, it was hugely expensive. And, and how did you kind of bankroll that then? Because obviously you got that that initial round of investment. Was that what sort of saw you through for the early, you know, six, 12 months? Because you haven't been going for that long, you know, three years you've been you've been actually in business for. Are you still using that initial investment or have you had to fund further? No, we've, we funded further. That initial investment, you know, got us through year one primarily. And then the, the kind of next round of investment was was to get employees in the business you know you quickly find you can only do so much with two or three or four people in the business and we didn't even have that so (laughs) I think I brought in a marketing person I brought in salespeople. like we need to grow beyond Sainsbury's and and we're starting to get into bars and restaurants so the next round of funding was to you know to to fund marketing production but also bring more people into the business and start to grow grow the team what was the initial fund then in year one how much did you did you raise uh, i believe we raised just over two hundred thousand. That's, that's pretty incredible to be able to raise just two hundred thousand quid with essentially you and your sister what was the second fund then that you had to raise for staff second fund was upwards of oh around 700 okay fine 000, because at that point at that point we were doing pretty well in sainsbury's we were, you know, we're flying through through bottles in 500 stores across the UK. So that was 
you know, we needed to fund fund the production for that, uh, and and also get into other other on trade operators. I think at that time we'd then gone into Revolution to Cuba and some some national operators. I mean, this is just before we were just starting to gain some traction, and then the pandemic hit in you know well you know the rest March March well, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that channel quickly ideal. came to a. To a halt, I imagine. <laughs> but you, you had seven hundred thousand quid in the bank. You might have had a little bit more inclusive of sales, I suppose. Is that what was your cushion during the pandemic? Because you could still pay staff. I'm assuming you might have furloughed some of them, albeit they might not have been there long enough actually to furlough. So, what happened to the business during the last, I suppose, two years? Yeah. So we didn't actually furlough anyone. We we worked tirelessly <laughs> during <laughs> during the pandemic because what what we did do was we drastically. You know, we had to batten down the hatchets and protect the cash we had because we didn't know what would happen to the market, whether we'd still be able to get bottles out to to retailers and be able to sell online. We didn't know how secure the supply chain would be, whether our our bottlers would be able to manufacture. You know, we had places closing down because of COVID outbreaks. So we didn't know any of that. So the first thing we did, we, we I think we shaved 50% off our, our marketing budgets uh, but we didn't we didn't completely cut everything because actually that was a time where the bigger companies, the bigger brands, um, particularly bigger alcohol brands, were taking all of their spend off social media. So actually it became much more cost effective to to use platforms like social media to advertise. So we used the time to as a brand that was fairly unknown at the time, we'd only been going a year or so, we use that opportunity to to try and grow our awareness. And and we also use the time to develop a, a new product. <laughs> Somehow, through some miracle, we managed to create a, a second a second product, Dark and Spicy, and launch it in November 2020. Uh, and we, we went through entire brand refresh. We we worked with an agency in Mexico to refresh our packaging, our bottle our branding so we were pretty busy <laughs> yeah you are. we didn't we didn't let up in terms of working with a with a with an agency in mexico what was the reason for that was that again the vibrancy and the sort of i suppose the ties to a certain extent to to to, to colombia in that sort of vibrancy aspect or was that just simply a budgetary thing no we were we we approached a few agencies in in the uk and then i think someone mentioned to me this agency that had done some brilliant work and i thought you know so it wasn't a budgetary thing but actually when i spoke to them and, and they did a little bit of work they just got it straight away they 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 got it and i was like my god we need to work with these guys like they 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 they'll be brilliant and and they did a fantastic job for us and i really enjoyed working with them so we we tried a few different routes but we just found they really got the the kind of latin spirit of the brand they like being in being in mexico so that that worked incredibly well for us do you think you're going to develop more more flavors down the line for say christmas you know 2022 frankly you know something more cinnamon orientated that's warmer or is it always going to be quite summery quite vibey yeah i think there's definitely a space for experimentation maybe bringing out some limited editions i think especially if you've got a we've got a direct to consumer platform and that's a great way to test things out you can you can launch a, a product as a limited edition See, see if it gets traction rather than putting all of your eggs into one basket and going, we're going to launch this product without really knowing whether people are going to like it or not. 
So I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of, of potentially doing that. So you've got two SKUs now, I suppose. Would you have started the brand with two SKUs or would you have very much gone in with just one if you had your time again? Good question. Would I have launched with two SKUs? I quite liked having one. It gave real focus to myself and the team at a time where, you know, when you just launch a brand, you're still working out your messaging, what worked, you're still learning about the category, learning about the consumer. So Maybe having two would have been a little bit confusing. I don't know. Possibly not. But I, I think having one just really focused the attention. A hundred percent. And I suppose you could own that space, own that visual and own that own that brand when, when launching it. In terms of how you raised the money, Ellie, in the early days, do you, how did you go about actually approaching VCs or approaching individuals with private equity and, and asking them for the money? You know, it's not an easy thing to do. And you've raised nearly a million quid in a little under 18 months. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I knew nothing about the space <laughs> before launch, <laughs> before nothing. nothing. <laughs> and so I did, a, I did a lot of research. I listened to a lot of podcasts. There's so many different ways you can, you can raise money. And I think the one piece of advice I would give people is just talk to other, talk to other founders and entrepreneurs before you, you pick a path. There's no right or wrong answer. But you, you need to, I mean, I spent some time thinking about, you know, what I want from the business, what I want to get out of it, what I want to learn, what I need from my investors. You can get smart investors. You can get investors where it's just about the cash. You can do uh, crowdfunding where actually you're involving uh, lots and lots of people on that journey with you. And, and that's right for different brands. So I think, yeah, my one, my kind of one piece of advice and, and what I did was just to to understand all of those elements and then figure out what was what was right. And what type of investor did you go for then? Was it a smart investor or you didn't crowdfund it, did you? No, we didn't crowdfund it. We went we went for smart investment. So investors that are, are in this category who who understand drinks market because and, and I think also part of that was again being a, a solo entrepreneur that can be really beneficial having having expertise people you can lean on for for advice is is great yeah 100 percent. and actually when this when this podcast airs it'll obviously be dry january it'll be the 5th of january specifically but only two days ago you picked up the award for the entrepreneur well for the food and drink entrepreneur of the year for the southwest so you know you've won a lot of awards i've often seen you guys in the back of these awards brochures as i go up against you guys for young entrepreneur of the year in just the general category now how important to your brand as a consumer brand is winning these awards it must be critical i mean certainly on the product side you've kind of mentioned one for me which is which is brilliant to have that recognition but on the product side it's crucial to win these awards because we operate in a in a category where when I first started it was me and a handful of other non-alcoholic spirits I mean you know tiny and now there are hundreds because this space has just exploded and food and drink it's such an innovative space so uh, so many people have got involved and and awards really set you apart in terms of quality because unfortunately I see some brands and products come into this space where they just want to make a quick buck and so they haven't spent that time and energy and effort in developing the product to a really high standard and that that's a shame because it will mean a consumer will have quite a negative first experience potentially with this category so we use awards to really kind of as a marker of quality, uh, you know, a, a promise to the consumer that this is this has been tried and tested by the experts who who have rated it as a gold or a silver or a bronze or whatever it might be. So 
we're um yeah we're we're putting we won a we won a gold for dark and spicy at the international wine and spirits awards and we're going to be putting that on our packaging see that i mean that's incredible but also the fact that you're a you know a, a single female founder as well in in business is also hugely inspiring because so many individuals either you know co-founded that's fine but you know being a female in business incredibly difficult especially going it alone have you come up against barriers you know and issues i suppose that your male counterparts may not have come up against I definitely think investment is more difficult really? for women, and I think Why those do you think that is? Yeah, I'd, because my experience speaking to to other other women in this industry, if you go to a VC or investor, typically it's is predominantly male, and they they like to see they like to see a male co founder in there, and so when they look at a, a solo female entrepreneur, who you know from from my experience who had no um, entrepreneurial experience prior to launching a business, they see it as a risk, and well, so I, 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 get I, I really enjoy it when I when I see see VCs that are have been created to back uh, female entrepreneurs specifically, and I think we need more of that because I mean the stats speak for themselves. Only one percent of investment goes to female founded businesses, that and that right? that needs to change. That is, I didn't realize it was as low as that. That is unbelievably low. And but how do you think we can change that then? Because fundamentally i suppose the vcs will argue the fact that they're just investing in businesses that they believe in you know it's quite discriminatory not to believe in fundamentally a female right which is essentially what you're saying yeah i think i think there are a number of things we can do i think you know that's part of why i i put myself out there quite a lot because i know by telling my my story i can inspire other females to potentially start their own business i know you know listening to podcasts like these as I was going on that journey prior to launching a business, really helped me believe that I could do this. By hearing people going, you know, two years ago, I had nothing and now, you know, I've built this business. That's hugely inspiring. So I, I think if you're in a position like mine or, you know, similar to mine, I think by getting your story out there, you can make a you can make a real difference to people. But also I think on on the investment side, investors being more open to investing in in female entrepreneurs uh, as well and you know you see it in the in the corporate world um quite a bit as well and, and giving females more leadership positions there's there's a real drive at the moment uh, around that so i think i think the same needs to happen with investment 100 percent. so i suppose just to look at what success looks like for you individually but also as a brand you know what does that feel and what does that look like um for you success for me as a brand uh, and, a, and an individual it's it's two part. I think individually, I I went on this journey to to learn, and and to prove to myself that that I could I could launch a brand and and start something from nothing and create it into something, with a with a clear purpose and you know taking that clear purpose. If we can achieve that mission, as it which is intertwined with my with my personal mission of, we want to make not drinking more fun for people. If we can do that as a brand collectively as a, as a team I'll be so happy and I think you know culturally that that is changing and I think we've still we're on a journey over the next couple of years it's going to become more and more of the norm to to drink and moderate but actually not see it as a compromise still go out and, and meet with your friends it is about the availability and and we've got a job to do to make sure that when you go into a, a bar or restaurant that you see non-alcoholic options on the menu so you can make that choice it's great to see draft beer going on on tap now alcohol-free draft beer 
because that that's a that's a great experience for people so i think for success for me is is achieving is achieving our mission so i mean looking at you know the market it's growing you guys have been around for three years you've just alluded to the fact that over the next couple of years there is significant growth there is there an exit on the horizon or are you going to carry this on for the foreseeable possibly an exit i think in mind if the opportunity is there to to take the 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 brand to a global platform this trend of, of, of around drinking less and and opting to for alcohol alternatives doesn't just exist in the UK. It exists all over the world, the US, Australia, Europe and beyond. And, you know, that can take time to grow uh, at, at scale. So if there's an opportunity at some point to to take our brand to a, to a global scale, then absolutely, I would consider that. Look, Ellie, you are a female founder. You are the first podcast of the year. It is dry January. If I want to turn over a new leaf and not drink alcohol for at least the next four weeks, where can I go to buy a bottle? You can go to kalaniadrinks.com or if you don't want to go online, you can go to Waitrose and Sainsbury's and Ocado to find your Kalenio fix. Perfect. I've loved every minute of this truly brilliant brand and hopefully we can catch up soon. Thank you so much, Ellie. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Coming up next week. There have been some days where I'll stop for a minute and I'll look back and this whole rush of emotion will sort of take over my body of like, wow, if I look if, look at myself 10 years ago and you, if you had told me that I would have had a Forbes 30 under 30, I would have laughed at you. <laughs> you know, it's those times where you stop and think and, you know, you say to yourself, wow. Thank you so much to our headline sponsors for the year, Capsule Cover. Capsule Cover, a specialist insurance partner to growth businesses, supports some of the UK's most innovative and ambitious companies. Sponsoring each and every one of our podcasts, we're on a journey with Capsule, and so should you be. If you're a scale-up or an ambitious, high-growth business, check out how Capsule Cover can help you with bespoke insurance solutions. Inquire via CapsuleCover.com and quote Success22. See you next week, 8am on all podcast platforms. Simply subscribe or ask your smart speaker to play Success is in the Mind podcast. This is a Pinpoint Media podcast presented by me, Oliver Bruce, produced by Dan Miller and Fergus Bruce, edited and designed by Harry Fox and Victoria Bramwell, filmed by Madeline Harris, marketed by Ellie Hanwell and Rachel Buchanan-Hughes and managed by Bethan White and Annabelle Norton-Smith. Quite a team. Thanks, guys. If you know anyone you think we should interview, if you want to tell your story or have your say, please reach out to me directly via podcast at pinpoint-media.co.uk. Remember, there's never a good time to start a business, but in business, you should always have a good time. Cheers, guys. Cheers.